Hello, I'm Caroline Criado-Perez. So we've come down to the fourth floor. Um, we're looking out over Piccadilly, one of London's busiest streets, cars and buses rushing by. Um, and most of us will use some form of transport uh, every day. Uh, but what a lot of people don't realize that is that it's a very different business for a woman to be traveling in a car than it is for a man to be traveling in a car. So men are more likely to be in a crash and therefore more likely to be injured overall. But if a woman is in a crash, she is 47% more likely to be seriously injured and 17% more likely to die. And this is all because of how the car is designed and for whom. Essentially, for decades, we have used a 50th percentile male crash test dummy. And that means that the whole car is set up for women to be out of position right Welcome to Unraveling Pink, a podcast tackling gender bias through conversation. I'm Annie Rogaski. We are nearing the end of the spring season. I think I started it a little bit before official spring, so it's not actually going to coincide with the spring season, but the Unraveling Pink spring season, we will have one, maybe two more episodes, and then that'll be it until the fall. So we've been spending a lot of time this season on the man box. I feel like we're kind of getting to the end of that discussion and analysis that we've explored how it shows up, how it impacts men, how it impacts women, what we might be able to do about it. And it feels like we are getting towards the end of a season devoted to the man box. So hopefully you have learned something along the way. I know I have. And uh, this episode takes a little bit of a departure from analyzing the man box and instead goes back to a topic that I talked about quite some time ago in episode 78. The topic is design and how women are affected by it. So in Episode 78, I went into a lot of detail around the different ways that the world is designed for men. This topic recently came back into the news and came onto my radar screen as a potential topic because what would have been the first all-female spacewalk, all two females, became just another spacewalk with one woman and one man because NASA only had one medium-sized spacesuit ready to go, and both women needed a medium. So that was a pretty frustrating public fail that just reminded me of the many ways that our world is designed for the norm, and that norm happens to be men. But this particular design fail hit a little bit harder not only did it have an impact on the individual lives of the astronauts impacted by this, but it also had a broader impact. All of the girls and women, and hopefully boys and men, watching this potentially historic moment lived through the disappointment suffered by Anne McLean when she was told that she would not be going on the scheduled uh, spacewalk. This was an opportunity to inspire the next generation of girls into science and to show or remind boys and men that women belong in space as well. And yet it turned into just another reminder that the world doesn't 
think about women often enough. It's the little things, like making sure there's a spacesuit that fits your astronauts. Matthew Schwartz, in a, an NPR article entitled, NASA Scraps First All-Female Spacewalk for Want of a Medium-Sized Spacesuit, wrote, That is not one small step for women. History was supposed to be made Friday when, for the first time, two female astronauts were scheduled to do a spacewalk together outside the International Space Station. However, one of the astronauts was switched out this week because of a lack of spacesuit availability. He continues, The availability of enough spacesuit sizes has long been a bit of a sensitive subject for NASA. As NPR's Nell Greenfield Boyce reported in 2006, Opportunities for women may have been hampered by the fact that spacesuits only came in medium, large, and extra-large sizes. They used to come in small, but that size was cut in the 1990s when NASA had to redesign the suits because of a technical glitch. Cara Kelly wrote for USA Today in NASA's spacesuit issue is all too familiar for working women about some of the ways that this hits home for women. She writes, people aren't thinking of women when they're designing. She continues, few women may be able to relate to the spacesuit fit issues, but many intimately understand how it feels to move through a world that is not built for them. Think icy offices with temperatures programmed by men in suits, seatbelts that are challenging to comfortably position around boobs, impossible to reach top cabinets set to the average height of men, Clothing, including safety gear such as spacesuits or helmets, is often a pain point. Even in 2019, women face everything from banal frustrations like a dearth of functional pockets to potentially life-threatening scenarios of ill-fitting bulletproof vests. When I read this, I had to laugh. The, the dearth of functional pockets, this seems like a little thing, but I've boycotted designers for an entire season of pantsuits and no pockets. So many women have ranted on social media about the lack of pockets and shared in the sheer joy of a dress that actually has hidden pockets. Men, I'd encourage you to imagine having pants with no pockets. Where do you put your keys, your wallet, your hands? It's so frustrating to have clothes that aren't designed for being worn and used in a normal fashion. Ritu Prasad, in an article entitled Seven Ways the World is Not Designed for Women for BBC.com, wrote, This is just what happens over and over when it comes to what we design. We are so used to thinking of men as the default and women as the sort of niche, a variety of man. And I think, honestly, this is what it comes down to, that the norm of what we tend to design for is male, and we tend to design for capturing as many people as possible. So women just aren't the primary target when those designs are made. I don't think that it's particularly intentional to exclude women. I think it's more that we're not necessarily thought of or to kind of call back to last week's episode, our experiences aren't fully understood or known by the people in the design room. If you don't think about the fact, for example, that women tend to carry purses everywhere they go, 
then you aren't going to be thinking about where does the purse go when you get into the car? Like, where is there a place to put the purse if you have other people in the car? Um, that's a design feature that I've not seen in any car that I've sat in and is something that would be extremely useful to half the population. So the other reason, aside from this spacesuit snafu, that I wanted to cover this topic is there's a book that recently came out that highlights the invisibility of women when it comes to designing our world. It's entitled Invisible Women. The author is Caroline Criado Perez. In a review about this book, Amy Cunningham writes, From city infrastructure to car safety to health, journalist Criado Perez details what's at stake when largely male planners, politicians, and researchers turn a blind eye to women's needs. She details the impact on women when the world is designed around the standard or reference man. So I encourage you to pick this up. I've not had a chance to read it yet, but I think it's useful information for all of us to be aware of. What are the particular ways that women and others are disadvantaged by the design of the world around us? As you know, my friend Sam Devins has joined me this season to chat about the topic of the week. So he's back, and I was excited to have him join me for this conversation because Sam is a designer. Here's our conversation. I'm anxious to hear how uh, the world is designed for men. Yeah. Because I thought about it. Yeah? I stopped myself from Googling it because I didn't want to inform this discussion. You're like a jury. Yeah. I have not been swayed one way or the other. It yeah. got me thinking about, okay, so how are certain things designed clearly for men and, and not acknowledging women? I couldn't think of anything. And I had, really? I, had I brought it up to uh, my wife and uh, I asked her and she had to think about it for a second. Yeah. I think it's just the, the world is designed the way it's designed and we don't really think about it too much, right? I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So... Like we're, and I think women are so used to just adjusting to the norm, and the norm has always been met. For instance, I'm left-handed, but mm -hmm. when I was learning computers, all the mice were over to the right. Mm -hmm. And uh, I endured so much, but I learned how to do it, you know? How did you ever cut paper when you were in elementary school? I didn't, did yeah, my mom, my mom uh, walked in. And I was just murdering a piece of paper with right-handed scissors. And uh, I think the teacher, and this, I don't know, the story's probably changed over the years, but the teacher's like, we're kind of having some concerns with Sam. He's a good kid, but his fine motor skills are a little behind other kids. So my mom, like, picked up the scissors and put them in my left hand or found some left-handed scissors, if mm. there even were a pair, and uh, put them in my left hand, and off I went, you know. Yeah. And I've been cutting ever since. <laughs> I haven't looked back. <laughs> it makes a difference to have the right tools sure does. which is one way that the world is designed for men mm -hmm. because actually tools um, that are throughout my shed I love tools I love to um, build things and assemble things and break things and destroy things and what I do most often is I cut roses but getting roses that I can use one-handed from the start is practically impossible because the length of the mm. um, handles is so far 
beyond my hand that I have to first pull it with two hands before I can actually use it. Which can be a little dangerous. Yeah. You know. I was thinking, I was reflecting on this topic and, and it occurred to me that there was this moment in time when women's t-shirts came out. Like it used to be, you just as a woman had to know that you were a small or an extra small or a medium or whatever in men's sizes. Like you just needed to convert what you normally would buy in, for example, a girl's part of the clothing store um, into boys' t-shirt sizes because everything was always boys' or men's size t-shirts. Yeah, they just made them smaller. But then there was this magical time. I don't know if it was in the ninety, late nineties, maybe two thousands when they actually cut the shirts differently for men's and women. So you and I ran with, with your wife in the Wharf Dwarf, right? Mm-hmm. And we got our little bags with all of our goodies at the end, and she and I got the women's bags with the women's cut shirt, and you got the men's bag with the men's cut shirt. And magically, they fit. Like, they're different. It's not just a boxy, smaller box that women have to wear, but mm-hmm. they actually get shirts that reflect their anatomy a little more. That's a very small example. What I think is scary about the lack of consideration of the female gender in design is when it comes to safety. So for example, um, cars were tested, like seatbelts and airbags, I think, were tested for men. And you look at the stats of how many women are, are likely to be injured or killed in a car accident versus men, and it's much higher because we have different sizes and anatomies, and, and it was it was designed for and tested for the normal man. The average male. Yeah, yeah. so I mean, even within the male gender, you have guys who are smaller or guys sure. who are bigger, and it's not going to fit everybody. But the crash test dummies were 5'10", 175 right. pounds, something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. <coughs> um, and things like uh, testing... Drugs, for example, um, they're tested on men and not women, and sometimes they have a different impact on women because of our hormone chemistry. Makeup, yeah, yeah. chemistry. All of these examples are let's look at how this works for men and not how it also w- works for women, and then the, the impact is harmful or deadly. Um, and so it's hard to believe at this point in time we're not looking at those things more deliberately. And it even goes to things like when Apple released its first, I think, health app on the iPhone, there was like no period trackers. Like all the health that both men and women need, but not the health that women encounter most often. Really? <laughs> um, it was just an oversight. And probably because either there were no women in the room of that design team or there were, but they were in such a minority that they didn't want to speak up. I don't know. Perhaps. So I was thinking of why does that happen? And I didn't really have a man box answer to that. I had a, an answer that goes back to our last episode, which is lack of understanding of the experience of another gender. Mm -hmm. If you don't know, what someone else needs, how can you design for them? Yeah. Yeah, I don't even know how to, like, unpack that. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I have a question. Like, are we talking about, like, right now or how it's always been? 
I think it's a point of inflection right now mm -hmm. because I understand how historically design teams were likely most, if not 100% men. Mm -hmm. And unless you are specifically thinking about a design constraint that's given to you that doesn't apply to you, I would imagine it's a pretty easy thing to do to just think about your own experience and design for that. So historically, it seems pretty clear to me, my assumption would be that you have a group of men designing something, their experience is going to be top of mind, but maybe not others. Yeah. And as things have changed and there's become more attention, like recently the inability of two female astronauts to go on a spacewalk together because there was only one spacesuit that would fit each of them. It's just a reminder that there's not really an expectation that you're going to have two women in space at the same time. And I think that's problematic, and I think people are pushing back on that narrative because we should be beyond it at this point. But if you look at things towards the future, for example, we look at AI, and if you have a group of white men designing uh, facial recognition and not perhaps taking into consideration how do you make sure that women's faces are recognized or African-American faces are, are recognized um, properly, then we're creating this future technology that is going to take over our world and whole swaths of populations won't be properly accounted for and treated in that software. So I think it's a, an exponentially worse problem in the future than it's been in the past, and I think it's been a problem in the past. Is there anybody that's filling that void? Is there any business out there that is designed? I mean, is there even a way to redesign most products? I mean, how many products or things that you interact with in any given day could you benefit from a female designer, someone who has mm -hmm. um, that as like a design guideline? Like, these are the people that are going to be using this product, and I'm designing for them, testing this product with them. But is there... A company that is leading the charge, like that's kind of taken a stand and said, look, that they're kind of known for that. Not that I know of. Right. I'm, yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, part of it comes down to cost. Mm -hmm. Every company is trying to make money and maximize profit and things like that. And you look at the, the stories around NASA and it's not like they made a decision that only one woman was going to do, be able to do a spacewalk. I mean, that's not what they did but they had budget constraints and so they had to cut somewhere and so they cut um, money uh, around redesigning spacesuits so they only had what they had and only a certain number of those were ready and capable of going into space and so I think money is a big issue but um, I'm not aware of any specific effort to um, make design more equitable. There's certainly women 
owned and operated and designed uh, clothing lines, things like that. And I suspect that as we have more women in roles that need specifically designed equipment like police and first responders, I suspect that companies are more aware now that there are women in the workplace and women in different occupations and they need to be designed for. But I don't know. I don't know how much that's in the, the design world. Yeah. It has to be getting better. I mean, like you said, there's more women in the workplace in those roles making those decisions. Mm -hmm. And from a design perspective, I mean, we always start with, uh, you know, principles and the guidelines and who are we building this for. And then we test whatever we're building with those people, and it's men and women. So it's hard for me to understand how some of these products made it to market with such glaring design flaws. Walk me through how that works. So you, you get your target customer? When you say, who are you designing for? Yeah, and that's, that's one of the first questions you have to answer. Like, who is this mm -hmm. for? You know, why are we building this and who is it for? And what problem is it solving? Mm -hmm. um, and then you go from there. And the fact that men were creating something without even considering that a woman, the impact, like, they would have on a woman, like, how would a woman... Like a car. Yeah. Like, how can that not be mm -hmm. designed for women, too? Just to, to be safe in a car. Right. Got me thinking, are, are there particular cars that have been designed for a woman? Like, is it... Uh, yes. Yeah? You, you saw my face light up because I, I just remembered, I think I talked about this in my last podcast on, on design, but there was a Volvo concept car that was designed entirely by women designers. And... One of the features that they put into this car was a deep center console where you could put your purse. Interesting. Because every woman who gets into a car needs to takes her somewhere. purse off her, her shoulder and if there's no passenger, puts it over onto the passenger seat, mm -hmm. which strains your elbow um, because it's awkward and your purse is heavy. Or if you have someone else in the car, you have to put it behind, which strains your shoulder. And you do this, how many times a day do we drive? See, that's interesting because that was the question, like, what would a car designed for a woman, what would the features, how would those features be any different? Maybe the ergonometry, I was thinking, would be yeah. a little different. Like not but having to step up or... Never or, thought yeah. about, I, I don't carry a purse, right. so I don't yeah. have to put anything anywhere. Yeah, um, and there's never been a car where I could put my purse anywhere that made sense. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I would have never, <laughs> never thought of that. Yeah. So it was a concept car. Yes, it's not Didn't come out because I looked yeah, for I, I wanted to buy it. I would have bought it, <laughs> yeah. and it never came out. This is getting off on a tangent, but of all the things that you carry with you, what's essential? Keys, phone wallet, sunglasses, mm -hmm. feminine products. Yeah. Where am I going to put that? Mm -hmm. Which brings us to another design frustration of mine, which is the lack of pockets in pants. So let me ask you, if you had no pockets in your pants, which might seem ridiculous, but that has been my experience with women's pants over the years, where, where would you put the things that you carry? Fanny pack. <laughs> So basically a man purse. 
you would have to have a purse, basically. You'd have to have some sort of... Well, it's connected to my body, and it's camouflage. So it's a purse. <laughs> <laughs> of course it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've had um, a satchel, like a little like saddlebag uh, thing that I was able to put my laptop in. Because uh-huh. I had a small laptop at the time. Oh, and laptop I've, too, yeah. Yeah, a few other things. And uh, I got teased so bad every time I wore that thing by men you know of course because of the pants. yeah and I'm like but it's so functional I don't need a backpack yeah. I just yeah. need something to just throw over one shoulder you mm-hmm. know just it's it's functional but yeah men wouldn't let me have it <laughs> yeah so we have purses because we carry a lot of stuff for ourselves we also carry a lot of stuff for other people especially mothers mm-hmm. it's easier to be a guy sometimes yeah. Yeah. There was a thread uh, on Reddit that I um, that I read recently, and it was about uh, left-handed people griping about the stuff that just living in a right-handed world, and it got me thinking about yeah. this topic and all the things that um, people were bringing up that annoyed me, but I didn't associate with being left-handed. Mm-hmm. One of them was um, brooms, like when you, as a left-handed oh, person, yeah. are you know sweeping. It's rotating the um, the actual uh, the the handle. the handle out of the socket, and I, oh, for my, my right. entire life, I did not know why my brooms would always get loose. I was always um, yeah. screwing it back in. Righty tighty, lefty loosey. Yeah. So there was just one thing after the next, and I was like, I didn't realize how bad I had it. <laughs> but the point is, <laughs> all joking aside, a lot of it was. Um, I just wasn't aware, you mm. know, that uh, I was having an issue with it because it's just the way it's been. Yeah. And um, I would imagine that there's there's certain things um, that women encounter often that are more difficult than they need to be. Yeah, and I think that's probably true of a lot of different groups and people who are disabled, like all the ways. I mean, that that's a much longer conversation than mm-hmm. either left-handed people or women, I think. Like just the number of ways the world is hard because they're not designed properly for them. So yeah, it's 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 certainly not only women, but I think you're right. Like like the left-handed uh, design is a a nice counterpoint of the different ways that the world just kind of focuses on the dominant and says we're going to design for this. And I've heard these conversations where you're designing for. or 90%. You can't design for 100% right out of the gate. We call that boiling the ocean. You can't do it. Yeah. So you have to make decisions. Yeah. Yeah. But then on the other hand, I remember reading an article um, on accessibility where it said if you actually design for the edge case, you pretty much bring everyone else with you. Like as an aside, and I, I can't, don't quote me on this, but it's uh, a segment that is worth billions of dollars if you were to design for, you know, those edge cases and capture those disabilities. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of products are designed not with the the edge cases in mind and those kind of get shoehorned in afterwards, yeah, you know. Right. When and someone complains. That's why it's clunky and mm-hmm. it's it's not really optimized for that edge case. Yeah, that's a good point that if you start with the 
lowest common denominator product, it's not necessarily an easy tweak mm -hmm. to get to the edge cases. Yeah. You try to capture as many people as possible, but a lot of people get left behind. It just comes down to advocacy, you know, like yeah. women in those roles. I was thinking, well, if you had everyone represented in the design team, you could get there, but you can't. Like, you can't have every different type of need in that room. And so if you don't have that, if you don't have 100% representation on the design team, then you need people on the design team thinking about different perspectives. How would it get into the system so that it would be considered? And is it dependent on the design team having representation or is it coming from other places where maybe the representation can be there? And if we look at all the different people who are touching that problem, we have much better representation than if we're just looking at the design team. Design is so huge, you know. Before you even design anything, there would be so much research with women. Mm -hmm. um, and hopefully there would be women on the team. So this is putting you on the spot, but if you were to design a car... It would be specifically, awesome and it would fly. It would oh. fly. Okay, was that so not the question? Women want to fly. Uh, no, what would you what would you do differently? I mean, would the... Oh my God, let's start with cup holders. Okay, cup holders. That sounds really gendered because people make fun of women and wanting cup holders, but it's... Men, men want cup holders? I, ha I have seen so many bad designs of cup holders and it's the placement, it's the design of it, it's what fits into it. Like, can I not have a, a cup holder that fits a water bottle of varying sizes? Because I take water bottles when I go hiking all the time. And they like the big, the big uh, three dollar, three ninety nine ones you get at Seven Eleven. No, not the even square that. one. You want the the the, no, the Fiji like bottle to fit? Like the um, what's the one? Can with I get the... a square cup holder, please? <laughs> Someone. I just want a regular cup holder that's not flimsy, that's in the right position, that accommodates different sized water bottles and cups. Mm -hmm. Um, like I just test drove a car today and. I was looking at the cup holders. I'm like, is this going to annoy me? Because the cup holders like slightly out of my reach. So if I'm driving and I have coffee or water, That's important. I have to lean forward. And a man in the same seat might not have to move forward yeah, at all. Right. It might just be the perfect spot for, for right. a man. Yeah. Um, a place for the purse. I don't have an answer for where it should go, but some place that doesn't give me rotator cuff injuries would be nice. Or elbow injuries. Is there any type of safety feature? I'm not talking safety oh, yeah. in terms of accidents or anything, um, but, you know, w walking to your car, like... Oh, so many things. Well, so first, in the car, three-point seatbelts are not comfortable for women. Our anatomy is different. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's not comfortable. Um, so that's one thing. There's got to be a better way. And then, yeah, safety, there's a lot of safety features when you're approaching your car that I think, I think car designers are doing a better job of. Like, keyless entry is really important. I was talking to someone at a dealership, and, and he said, oh, there's no keyless entry in this car. And I said, well, I'm not interested in it. I'm not going to fumble around for my keys and be the person in the dark parking lot next to the white panel van getting attacked. Um... So keyless entry is really nice because you don't have to fumble for your keys. Someone was telling me about, I think it was a Tesla model, 
where initially as you approached, all of the doors lit up and unlocked, like the door handles. But if you're by yourself as a woman, you don't want the whole car unlocked. You want only your door unlocked mm -hmm. because otherwise anyone can just slip in the other side. And apparently they changed that so that it, it just uh, lit up the car uh, driver's side door and unlocked that. I think that unlocking one door, not all doors, it, it never occurred to me that that would be something that I'd want. Maybe with children, but from a safety standpoint, like I just don't walk to my car thinking I'm going to get accosted or, um, yeah. So if I was the designer for that particular car, just unless, you know, someone straight up told me or that was part of the research, mm -hmm. that's why it doesn't get baked in. Yeah, that's interesting, um, tying back to some of our prior episodes of the experience, like not just the the physical differences between men and women, but the experiential differences mm -hmm. and what it's like to go through life as a female or some other underrepresented group. Um, how do you design for that without knowing the experience? Mm -hmm. You have to know the experience to be able to design for it. One example my wife brought up was um, women's bathrooms. Like, take your pick, you know, mm -hmm. restaurant, whatever venue. There's like one or two stalls, and it, it's always a bit of a nightmare. Yeah. In terms of access, yeah. there's not a whole lot of space, but it just seems that wherever I go, the women's line for the bathroom is like 10 times what it is for the men. Yeah. Well, there's also, I swear this is a scam, but there are, uh, in public rest restrooms, they always have uh, feminine products, and it's always uh, a quarter. You have to put a quarter in. Um, so if you imagine, which might be hard for our male listeners, but imagine that you are surprised you go to the bathroom and all of a sudden you realize your period has started and you don't have your purse with you and you're maybe at a business meeting taking a, taking a bathroom break and you think, oh, well, at least I saw one of those machines out there in the outside of the stall, so you have to go out of the stall and then you realize it's 25 cents and so maybe you go back and you get 25 cents out of your purse because maybe you don't have any other products on you at the time. And you put that 25 cents in and nothing ever comes out. Nothing ever comes out. I don't know if they don't stock them. I don't know if it's a design flaw. I don't know what it is. But <laughs> After all that, you get nothing. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty sick joke. It's, I, I would be curious to hear if, if the women listening have had a different experience, but... Um, yeah, it's pretty common. Well, maybe they're just, you just can't keep maybe them. it's just me. Can't keep them stocked, you know. Like but we can like keep toilet cakes. paper stocked and it's free. How is that possible? Wow. You're designing for, you know, the dominant case, the majority, the majority case, you know. I was just curious whether there was something I was missing in the design process. Like uh, something happening that... Uh, people not involved in the design process wouldn't be aware of that could explain this other than just it's probably mostly men. Hmm. See, that's where I get tripped up because, I mean, the, the design process for me, I mean, you have to account for 
a lot of use cases. And um, if you're making a product that is too big for half the people that are going to use it, I can't imagine a, a product going to market that way. Mm. Um, that's why I, I catch myself. I'm like, well, what, what, what products are out there that have completely missed the mark? And um, we've talked about a few of them, but I am just completely ignorant as to like how that impacts women. Mm-hmm. So... Um, it's hard to go back and say, well, why was that product designed the way it was? Yeah. And why were these glaring oversights? Um, yeah, I, I can't explain it. I can't imagine a bunch of women buying a product uh, that doesn't fit them or isn't doesn't feel correct. Mm-hmm. Like you, you vote with your money, right? I mean, you like products live and die based on how much they sell. As long as there are options. If there's no option, then what are you going to do? Go to Twitter and complain about it, which I think there's been more of uh, consumers expressing their frustration. Mm -hmm. Um, But if there's not another option, you're going to buy the product if you need it. Hmm. Yeah. So this week, we may have been a little short on solutions that are new, but I think what we've found in our conversations is that we come back to some of the same ideas, which are understanding the perspective and experience of people who don't look like us, and the effort that it takes to actually become aware of those experiences. Most of us go through our lives not really paying attention to experiences that we haven't experienced in part because sometimes it's hard to imagine an experience that we haven't had. But I I loved Sam's example of being left-handed. I remember being in elementary school and feeling sorry for the kids who needed the scissors with a different colored plastic on them that indicated that they were left-handed because it just was an extra hurdle for them. And I think it was a good reminder that it's not just a world not designed for women, but it's a world that's not designed for anyone who doesn't fit the norm. So for those of us out there who have impact into the designs of products, in particular as we go into AI and future products that depend on data being accurate and representative, I would encourage folks to be sure that those underrepresented voices are being heard and included in the design process. It will be increasingly important as we move forward. And as I mentioned with Sam, I feel like we're kind of at an inflection point right now where we've made a lot of mistakes in the past on the design front. We are making progress and um, I think it's reflective that we are taking women into account much more than we used to, but it needs to happen exponentially more than it has to date for us to have a future that's really representative of everyone. So this week, I would encourage you to take a look around you in your daily life and think about what works for you, what's designed for you, what's not designed for you, and what's not designed well for others who may not look like you. I'd love to hear about your experience. You can shoot me an email at unravelingpink at gmail.com or message me on Twitter at unravelingpink. Thanks as always for listening. 
We'll be back next week with another episode.